0: The sermon text for this evening's message is John 1:25 through 25-34. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, he who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel.
1: Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. And when you take our sins away, you come by the Holy Spirit, and we are baptized into a reality that we never thought we could know. A knowledge of Christ, a trust in Christ. A love for Christ, a sight of Christ, an enjoyment of Christ, an obedience to Christ, a satisfaction in Christ, so that Christ is all and in all, and how we long for a fuller baptism of your Spirit. So I'm praying now that on these campuses north Downtown, south, you would come. You would baptize us with the Holy Spirit in deeper, fuller, more powerful ways. And people would be liberated from long bondages to carnality, fleshliness, indifference, Weakness, defeat, discouragement, and find themselves riding up on a tide of your powerful presence. So come. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we focused on one of John's testimonies about Jesus, John the Baptist's testimonies. And the one that we focused on last time was, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's verse 29 of John 1. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the best news in all the world. The eternal Son of God came into the world not to judge us, but to take our sins away. Amazing. I hope that you are all enjoying your freedom from the guilt of your sin. I hope you are. I hope you're sitting there thrilled that your sins have been taken away. And if you're not, then I hope you will listen carefully. Today, we focus on the great testimony of John concerning Jesus as the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Verse 33, chapter 1 of John. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, that is, God, This God who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So that's our focus in this message. What does it mean that Jesus baptizes with the Spirit? Why did John make this part of his message? There are a hundred things he could have said about Jesus, which he didn't say. He said this. Why? And when he said it, why is it a testimony to the greatness of Christ and not mainly to the greatness of the Spirit? Why doesn't this testimony look like it's making Jesus a mere stepping stone to the real deal of the Holy Spirit? I mean, John is supposed to be preparing the way of the Lord. Behold, there He is. He's walking, God in the flesh. And He ascribes to Him, He's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. Why is that a tribute to Jesus mainly? And not mainly a tribute to the real action that he will give? Those are our questions. Now the first thing to notice, because it shapes everything, is that John, the writer of the Gospel, sets up a contrast between John the Baptist's baptism with water and Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit. So let's watch how he does this. Verse 31, I myself, John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So here he is again doing his not thing. Remember that sermon? The not sermon. I myself did not Know him. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah incarnate. I'm not the great knower. Knowledge is not originating with me. I don't know who this is except what God tells me he is. I'm just a voice telling you that the God of Isaiah 40 is here in the flesh and I'm I'm a baptizer in water just H2O he didn't know that <laughs> it's just water but he when he comes verse 32 John bore witness I saw the spirit Descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Amazingly, it is amazing to me anyway, John doesn't report the baptism of Jesus. Doesn't say a word about it. You read John, you wouldn't even know Jesus was baptized. The other gospels tell us, but John doesn't mention it. We know from the other Gospels that this dove here came at the baptism. Jesus was baptized and the dove came down, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. John simply says the Spirit came like a dove. No mention of the baptism. He's really riveted here. He's, he's, He's peeling back everything that doesn't go right to serve his purposes here. Why a dove? A dove was a bird. Birds are the one animal that move around in heaven and come down to earth and land. Perfect. Gotta have a bird if you're gonna symbolize something coming from earth, from heaven to earth. Why a dove? A dove, according to Leviticus 5-7, was, was pure and It was for the poor folks if they couldn't afford a lamb. So a dove, purity, loneliness, humility, a bird that can move from heaven to earth, that's why it's chosen. Most suitable symbol of the Holy Spirit because as we're going to see, the Holy Spirit is the most humble, self-effacing person of the Trinity he's always moving into the background and putting forward the Father and the Son so John totally omits the baptism of Jesus without any mention and focuses everything on one thing the Holy Spirit came on Jesus and remained on him look at that phrase at the end of verse 32 and it remained on him don't stumble over the word it this translation is construing the dove. The dove is the it, but the reality of the Holy Spirit remains. The Holy Spirit is a person. We will see this again and again. He's not an it. He is a person. We will see plenty of evidence, plenty of evidence for it as we, as we move through the book. So here he is stressing that the Holy Spirit came upon and he remained upon Jesus. Why? Why that stress? It's all serving the main point that Jesus is now the one who can baptize with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, rests, remains on Jesus. Not John, Jesus. So Jesus is the one bearing, carrying, covered, And when the Holy Spirit baptizes anyone, it's coming from Jesus. That's the point. Baptizing with the Spirit and baptizing with water are radically different things, and this is the stress. The testimony is, He's the baptizer in the Spirit. I'm just the baptizer with water. Everything is getting set to make that the main point baptizing with the spirit and baptizing with water is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug it's the difference between a person and a painting it's the difference between marriage and a ring it's the difference between birth and a birth certificate it's the difference between immersion in fluid and immersion in He's, he's laboring to say, I'm just a water guy. He's a God guy. He's a spirit guy. Everything he does is done as the God man. And what he does is take away sin as the lamb and baptize in the Holy Spirit. Go to him. Don't stay with me. All I've got is water. He's got the spirit. I'm nothing. What can I do? These are radically different categories, aren't they? Water and spirit. I can't untie his sandals. He was absolutely before me. He ranks infinitely above me. I'm a voice. He's the message. I'm a temporary pointer. He's the eternal person. I'm a mere man. He is the God man, and now, as though God man weren't enough, the Spirit has come upon him and remains so that he's the one who can baptize in the Holy Spirit. He's exalting Christ. That's what he came to do help people know who Christ was. So the focus is on the superiority of Christ as the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this here? It's right up front. At the beginning, of, whoa, it could have been a lot of other things you could have said about him. Why here? Why now? Why is it so prominent in John's message here at the beginning? I'll give you one reason. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was promised to be on the Messiah. And when the Messiah came to bring in the days of the Messiah and the kingdom of God and the new age, the Spirit would come upon God's people amazingly. I'll give you a few verses to support that. Isaiah 11.1 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. John knows this. John the Baptist, the prophet, knows this. If he's going to present Jesus as that one, that Messiah, that coming one, this needs to be said sooner or later. Isaiah 42.1 Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. I've put my spirit upon him. Isaiah 61.1 And this is the one Jesus quotes, remember, in the synagogue in Luke 4.18 The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So one reason why John is so vigilant and desirous to say he's the one on whom the Spirit has come and equipped him to be the one who baptizes his people in the Spirit is because that shows he's the Messiah. He's the coming one. He's the long-awaited, promised one. He on whom you see the Spirit descend, verse 33, and remain this is he who baptizes with the Spirit. I didn't know him. God, I don't know him. And God says, I'll show you. The Old Testament says that when he comes, his people are going to be given the Holy Spirit like they never had before. Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Isaiah 44.3, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams in the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel 36.27, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my rules. So that's one reason at least why this is here. The Messiah is going to be anointed with the Spirit and because He has come, the people of the Messiah are going to be anointed with the Spirit. And therefore John says, God told me the one on whom the Spirit comes, He is the one. And the dove came down, and he saw it, and he knew who he was. Now, what does it mean when Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit? Verse 33, at the end of the verse, just get it clear that this is the focus. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? It means, first of all, that from now on, now that God has become man, from now on, the Holy Spirit will come to people through Jesus Christ alone. He takes residence on Jesus so that Jesus is now qualified to be the one who baptizes his people in the Spirit. And they get it no other way. You don't go to a seance for this. You don't go out into nature for this. The buzz you get in nature without Jesus won't be the Holy Spirit. You don't want to even know what it might be if you reject Jesus. It comes through Jesus. The Spirit came upon Jesus, remains upon Jesus, and because of that, Jesus is the baptizer of His people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will be the means by which the Spirit comes to anyone who gets the Spirit. You want the Spirit? You go to Jesus. You want power? You go to Jesus. You want relief? From your burdens by the Spirit, you go to Jesus. Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He's not available from anyone else. He's the means. He takes away sin. And because He takes away sin, we may now be treated with this glorious mercy. The Spirit comes upon us. That's the first thing it means. Jesus is the only Means by which the Spirit is mediated to us. Number two, it means that Jesus immerses his people in the Spirit because that's what the word baptize means, dip. So we are dipped in the Spirit, plunged into the Spirit, immersed in the Spirit, the Bible clearly says that the Holy Spirit is poured out, right? I take it to mean that the Holy Spirit is poured over us so fully that we're enveloped in the Spirit. You don't have to choose between being immersed in the Spirit and being poured over by the Spirit when if you're poured over by enough, you're under it. And that's the way the Spirit comes is poured out and swallows us up such that we are immersed in Him, enveloped by Him. That's the point of the, the image. So I take it to mean something like this. When, when you're immersed in something... Plunged in something, surrounded and enveloped by something, the point of saying it is that it has profoundly and pervasively influential effects on us. Profound and pervasive effects on us. That's the, that's the point of saying, I'm just, there's no part of me that is not enveloped in the Spirit. Pervasive, profound influences in my life. That's what happens when I am baptized, plunged, immersed, dipped, poured over by the Holy Spirit. Number three. So the first meaning was Jesus is the only one who can do it. Second was baptism in the Spirit means plunged, encased, enveloped, poured over, swallowed up in, and thus pervasively and profoundly influenced by the Spirit in every part of us. Number three. What are those effects of the Spirit that are so pervasive and profound and affect all parts of us? What are they? Now, here we could let ourselves go and strike out in the direction of the debate between, uh, is the baptism with the Spirit a second particular event of the Christian life marked by speaking in tongues or is it the first decisive work of the Spirit which is synonymous virtually with regeneration we are baptized into the Spirit into the body of Christ and all made to drink of one Spirit first Corinthians twelve thirteen, or some of those texts in Acts where the Spirit falls and the mark of his falling as people speak in tongues a big argument, right? Big charismatic versus whatever over here about whether or not to be baptized in the spirit is to have one of those later experiences by which we are enabled to speak in tongues. We could go there, and I have ideas about that. But as I've tried to reflect on this this gospel, not you know, jump over to first Corinthians, jump over to Acts. Um I don't think John would, would want us to do that. I don't think John wants us to pose that question here. There may be implications for that question and what I'm about to say, but I'm going to try to stay with what I see here in the gospel and let John answer the question. So what, what happens to us when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit? And what does it refer to? And let's let John define it for us. And I'll give you the heads up as I give you specifics from the gospel. I don't think in John's thinking, and this is not a contradiction from anything else you may find other places in the New Testament. I don't think in John's thinking, baptism in the Holy Spirit refers to any particular point in the Christian life. Like, here it is, there. It's not not afterwards and it's not before, it's just right there. When that happens, it happened then, it didn't happen earlier, it doesn't happen later. It's just, that's the point, and then you argue about where the point is. I I don't think he's thinking that way at all. I think for John, baptism with the Spirit is a broad, general statement about the activity of Jesus in plunging us into the fullness of the Spirit in whatever measure at any point in your life it is. Which is why I pray for it almost every day. So if this is not fit in your categories, just try to adjust your categories for John. Different writers have different categories and they don't have to contradict each other. Let's just, let's just listen to how John thinks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you can decide whether you want to pray for it tonight or not. Kind of like, woo, I don't want to do that because, you know, something weird might happen. Well, that would be, that would be okay, but I don't think John is going to scare you, although he might. I don't think it's a technical term that refers to one part of the Christian life, say conversion, or speaking in tongues later, or a bold act of witness. Any one of those three, you might say they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God with boldness, or spoke in tongues, or were saved. I don't think John is limiting it to any one of those or or any other point in our life. So let me give you some examples of what I think John means. If if you're if you're not I'll go to the text in a minute. If you're not born again, what I'm saying is, just to kind of help your category shape here, if you're not born again, one way to describe what you need now, tonight, today. If you're not born again, One way to describe what you need is you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what you need if you're not born again. That is, you need to be plunged by Christ, and seeing Him and coming to Him, plunged by Him into a a power called the Holy Spirit, the person, plunged into Him such that you're awakened from the dead, made to be a believer and a receiver of Jesus and given eyes to see that's what you need. And that happens by this amazing electric connection with the Holy Spirit wrought by Jesus Christ, the baptizer. Or if you are born again, a believer, a born again believer here in this service, but you are languishing, this this is going to describe a lot of you. Languishing in a season of weakness and fear and defeat. Okay? Anybody with me? Languishing in a season of weakness and fear and defeat. One way to describe what you need. It's not the only biblical way to say it. One way to describe what you need is you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is, you need a fuller, richer, deeper, stronger experience of the Holy Spirit enveloping you, destroying all that fear and all that defeat. Don't, don't get into a pickle with this term as though if I pray for it and something good happens to me, then I should never pray for it again. We need it all the time in greater or lesser no, never lesser. <laughs> greater measures all the time. We have greater or lesser need for it, perhaps I should say, because sometimes we're experiencing it wonderfully. So I don't take baptism with the Holy Spirit as a technical term. I'm going to try to show you how I take it specifically. Let's go to John. I mean, you can go to these texts with me. I'm going to look at four texts and give you four meanings that I think if you were to go up to John, the writer of the Gospel, and say, What did John the Baptist mean? In saying that Jesus is going to baptize His people with the Holy Spirit, I think John would say, Well, let me, let me show you a few things that I'm telling you about the Spirit, and this is what He does. So that's, I'm letting that be my guide, rather than jumping over around the New Testament to fill up John's meaning. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives new life. This is John 6.63. It says, John 6, verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. So, dead people need the Spirit to do something. And I think John would say, When Jesus comes to a person in the gospel, if he is... Pleased in His great sovereign mercy, He can wrap them into the Holy Spirit, plunge them into the Holy Spirit, and they live, like throwing them into a life-giving ocean of grace and power. And they live. John chapter 3, verse 3, the new birth. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No mention of the Spirit yet, but verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, my spirit is dead until the Spirit makes me alive. And then I'm a spiritual person. So what has to happen is... Uh, A baptism into the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we stay dead. Number two, the Holy Spirit makes us not just life-getters, but life-givers. The Holy Spirit is given. We are baptized in the Spirit. We are plunged into the Spirit Enveloped in the Spirit. So that one, we will be life-getters. who will live. And the other will be life-givers. And you know where I'm going. Chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. Chapter 7, verse 38. Whoever believes in me. This is Jesus, the one who alone can baptize in the Spirit. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They're flowing out. They're not just flowing in. They're flowing out. Then he adds, Now this he said about the Spirit. The Spirit is poured out. We are enveloped in him such that he becomes life to our dead souls. And one of the effects of that life is that a river begins to flow out. And the reason I say we need to pray for this every day is, how's your river? My guess is it's like drip, drip, drip. Somebody gets a little help from you here, a little word there, but there's a lot of grumbling, and there's a lot of murmuring and there's a lot of hurtfulness and, and your life feels more like a sledgehammer than a a river of life. And and you don't like that. That's one of the evidences that you're born again. You don't like that. I don't like it. So I'm on my knees. God, please. Now I have no ultimate answer for how God apportions the Holy Spirit. I don't think we ultimately control that, although we can quench the Holy Spirit. He can kill our quenching and come if He wants to. And so it's both in. I can push Him away, and He can stop me from pushing Him away. But I have no... I just know I want more. I want more of your baptizing power. I want to be enveloped more fully. I want you to ooze into me in more places. I want to be permeated more profoundly and more deeply. And that's why I think this whole, this whole, we need to break out of our categories that say, "Here's the place where we're baptized," and then what are you doing after that? Right, living on your own? Like I got all of the gift, and now? No. Every day could be a fuller day. A more deeply plunged day. A more fully influential day. So, number two, we're not just life getters. That was number one when we're plunged into the Spirit, but we become life givers. A river goes out and and the river is big or small depending on how it's flowing, right? Number three, the Holy Spirit witnesses to Christ Christ. The Holy Spirit witnesses to Christ. Look at chapter 15 verse 26. Chapter 15 verse 26. When the helper comes, sometimes the word paraclete is used. It can also refer to advocate. Somebody who comes in alongside and stands with you and stands by you and advocates for you and helps you. That's the Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes, whom I will send. He's the baptizer, right? When you get it, I give it. Don't go anywhere else for this. Don't do any mumbo-jumbo for this. You go to Christ and His death and resurrection and person and word and great work on your behalf and because of Him. Please, when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. Now, we will have in the months to come so much to say about the glorious reality of the witness of the Holy Spirit. The internal witness of the Holy Spirit. One of the most important experiences of your life. You, many of you don't even know what it is. You can't name it and you are experiencing it. That's true for a lot of things, is it not? Our experience is ahead of our theology. We don't know what's happening to us. We, it, God is so merciful. He does things for us, in us, and we can't name them. We can't find them in the Bible. We read parts we don't know. Is that me? Is that what I'm experiencing? And So one of the things you want to do is, is, is become a biblical person so that you can see what's happening to you in reality in the Bible and then pray about it and, and adjust it with God's help so that it's fully biblical. The internal testimony of the Holy Spirit in which he, bearing witness with our spirit, is saying, Jesus is Lord. You know, you know what text I'm quoting? First Corinthians 12.3, which says, No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That's how I know he's at work in so many of your lives. Because from your heart, not just mechanically, from your heart, you are saying, He is Lord. He's Lord of my life. I'm stumbling, I'm messing up, but I'm coming back over and over again. I have no other Lord before Jesus. He's mine. You can't be that way without the Holy Spirit, Paul says. So one of the things I know that the Holy Spirit does when He comes over us and takes us up in Himself is witnesses to the Lordship of Jesus. He assures your conscience Jesus is your king. Jesus is real. Jesus is true. Jesus is more precious than porn. That's the Holy Spirit that gives you that deep conviction. That's number three. Finally, number four. The Holy Spirit, this is just taking number three and stretching it out and giving it focus and specificity. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. This may be, according to J.I. Packer in his really good book, Keep in Step with the Spirit. If you want to read a book on the Holy Spirit, I would recommend that one, Keep in Step with the Spirit. He says this, this verse, this statement, this purpose of the Holy Spirit is probably the all-integrating work of the Spirit. Everything else is going here. This is the hub. Everything else is relating here, and this is what it says. John 16, 14. John sixteen fourteen. When the Spirit of truth comes, jumping forward a few words, He will glorify me. That's Jesus talking. When the Holy Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you have a dim view of Jesus right now, You read the Bible, say the Gospels, and nothing. Close the Bible, go to my computer. Do you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Afresh, more deeply. I'm not saying you aren't a Christian. You know I'm not saying that. I'm saying this act of Jesus in immersing us happens. Continually for believers, and with greater or lesser extraordinariness from day to day. Which is why our days can be so up and down. What we need is for some power beyond ourselves, working in us to glorify Jesus in our hearts. He glorifies Jesus. That is, He makes Jesus look great to the human heart. He makes Jesus look magnificent to the human heart. That's what glorified Jesus inside of you means. Your heart, because of the work of the Spirit, sees Christ as magnificent. That's what we need. Because when you see him as magnificent, the world's magnificences fade away. And we're sanctified. We're made more holy because we see Jesus as of superior worth, value, beauty, power, admirability, everything. And the world loses its power. We're not strangled like that awful, was it the third soil? The word being choked out by the cares and pleasures of the world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is opening our eyes to see the glory of Christ. Why would I want to do that junk? So that's number four. When we are baptized in the Spirit the first time, continually after that, and in extraordinary ways, among all that continual work, Christ. Is made to be glorious in our eyes. Now, closing. Those last two, three and four, he witnesses to the glory of Christ and he glorifies Christ, he witnesses to Christ and he glorifies Christ. Those answer my last question. You won't, you won't remember what the last question was unless you wrote it down. The last question was, remember, Why, when John points to Jesus and say, I baptize with water, mere water, He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, why is that mainly a tribute to the glory of Christ rather than a tribute to the glory of the Spirit as the one to whom Christ is taking us and then maybe Himself getting out of the way? You see the issue? Why is I baptize with water... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Does the emphasis fall on, oh, finally, we get the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, He can just he pour it, He's gone. And now you, you've seen the answer in 3 and 4, have you not? You could finish the sermon, right? You could just come here and do the last two minutes. You could. Because the ultimate meaning of being the one who baptizes in the Spirit is that he gives the Spirit so that the, the heart will glorify Jesus. So Jesus is both the ground of our getting the Spirit, he takes away our sin, removes the wrath of God so that in mercy the Spirit can be poured out on us. He's the ground of it, the giver of it, the baptizer with it, and now we see in John 15.26 and John 16.14 when we are baptized with the Spirit the effect is to send all attention back to Jesus. He's the goal. So He's the ground of our being baptized with the Spirit and He's the goal of our being baptized with the Spirit because the Holy Spirit being God has in God's Wise and wonderful providence become the one who directs all attention to the Son. So that our conscious thinking is not primarily, I'm going to the Spirit, I'm going to the Spirit, I'm going to the Spirit rather. I'm going to the sun," I'm going to the sun," I'm coming to Jesus. He baptizes me. And when He baptizes me, my eyes are open and I see the glory. And I'm running all the more to Jesus. So that's the answer to my last question. Why is it a tribute to Jesus? It's a tribute to Jesus because he is not only the ground of the baptism with the Spirit, but he is the goal of the baptism with the Spirit. So back to John for just a moment. John the Baptist. John says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And now we see that this is all about Jesus. Yes, the Spirit is precious. Yes, the Spirit is God and a person, but functionally The way the Spirit works is not to attract attention to himself, but to attract attention to the Savior. So the ultimate point of John's testimony is that under God the Father, all things are from Christ, and all things are for Christ, including the Holy Spirit. All things under the Father are from Christ, I will send the helper. And all things are for Christ, He will glorify me. The main reason, folks, that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this great outpouring of the Spirit, this great immersion enveloping in our spirit, over every part of our lives is because we're not doing very well. I mean, how how is every part of your life affected by the Holy Spirit? Or better to say it this way, is every part of your life devoted to magnifying Christ? Is the way you use every part of your life making Jesus look good? That's what would be the case if the Holy Spirit had total control, total immersion And none of us is there. None. I'm sure not there. And therefore, I'm going to close and pray that God would do this for us continually and do this for us in extraordinary ways according to his purpose. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. O risen Christ, For your great namesake grant me and all of us here a fresh baptism in the holy spirit don't let us be afraid lord that you might knock us off our rockers with your power you might do a transforming work so that some people would not recognize us, the way we talk or act, so be it. We pray this in the all-powerful, merciful, baptizing name of Jesus. Amen.